哎、啊，哎，斌哥，我啦，搞咩鬼？我啦，咩老人？你系咪搞错？<笑> Hi, my name is Bay Logan. I'm a writer, film producer, Hong Kong film historian, martial artist, and for the next hour, hour and a half, for as long as we can go, we'll be talking about the wild and wacky world of kung fu filmmaking. And if you like what you hear, subscribe to us on iTunes or find us on the SoundCloud. Who knows what kung fu is? Who's heard the words kung fu? Can somebody tell me what it means? What do you think it means? Anybody? You there, sir? What does kung fu mean? Okay. Actually, kung fu is a phrase. It means The acquiring acquiring of skill through long practice. So you can have kung fu as a cook, as a musician, and as a martial arts practitioner. So kung fu in itself. So basically, what we should say for kung fu is mo gong. Mo gong is like martial practice or martial training. And our style of honga goes back to the Southern Shaolin Temple, which was a, something you may have seen in the old kung fu television series. You may have seen old kung fu movies. It's a famous temple. It really exists in China. And it's meant to be the source of all Chinese martial arts, but the reality is there's no real historical evidence to show that Southern Shaolin Temple existed or that there was martial arts that was taught there that was disseminated to the rest of China. But what we do know is that in Guangdong, there's a very important city called、uh, Fatsan in Cantonese or Foshan in Mandarin, and that is the place in the south of China where Southern martial arts developed, and basically developed into two streams: Hongga. And Wing Chun. Now, Hongar is the style that we teach here, and it、uh, uses、uh, basically five animals and five elements. The five animals: tiger, crane, snake, leopard, dragon. That's it. And and there's a man who's educated. Can you turn that on, Calvin? And、uh, five elements, which is wood, fire, earth, gold, and water. So, drawing on these animals and element mo- motions, we use the body in an effective way and both defend our own health and potentially destroy somebody else's to protect our own health. That is the the kind of the root of our Hongga Kung Fu. The most famous person in the contemporary pantheon of Kung Fu exponents is Wang Feihong. Now, Wang Feihong is somebody where you guys are probably going to go. That's an unfamiliar Chinese name. You don't know who that is. But probably, if you've seen any Kung Fu movies, you would have seen. Wang Feihong, because he's such a key figure in the development、uh, as a character in kung fu films. So Hongga is developed in in, in、uh, Fatsan and also Wing Chun, which was the style practiced by the most famous kung fu guy of all time. Which I mean, everybody. You know what's funny? If no one's ever heard of Hong Kong, never heard of kung fu, never heard of martial arts, they've heard of Bruce Lee, right? So Bruce Lee did Wing Chun. So you got these two. Brother and sister arts, and I, I use that term kind of,、um, I think, quite precisely because Hongga, and there was Bruce Lee just then. His Hongga is a very solid、um, male style, and Wing Chun, devised by a woman, is more of a soft, deflective style applicable for a female to use. So you have these two arts, one for big, strong, burly guys, and one for skinny, wiry people, being developed at the same time in Fatsan. And the most famous contemporary figure, figure of that time was Yip Man. Now, people generally only knew Yip Man in the context of he was the teacher of Bruce Lee. But also, we know that、um, you you now would have seen the films, the Yip Man movies. Has anybody seen Yip Man?、Yeah. Right. So you know that the character in that film, he was the teacher of Bruce Lee, and he was also from Fatsan. So if you ever go into China, and you have an interest to go up river to explore. 
Chinese martial art history, you shouldn't try to go to Shaolin, you should go to Fatsan. And there's actually a museum for Honga and a museum for Wing Chun. And there you can see what I consider to be the source. And there's a saying in Chinese, Yam Soi Si Sun. So if anybody, if you only have one phrase you take away from this trip, we're going to learn this one. Yam Soi Si Yun. All together now. Yam Soi Si Yun. Pretty good. One more time. Yam Soi Si Yun. What that means is when you drink the water, remember from where the water flows. So the, when you drink the water, remember from where the water flows. So it means is that when you, when you study something, remember the journey it took to get there. When you drink from the river, remember, basically the, the, there's another version which is when you drink from the well, remember the river. Meaning that everything is all knowledge, all teachings, everything that we treasure has been passed down from the ancients. So we shouldn't just take it lightly, we should take it seriously. So um, the beginning of our um, river, for me, is Fatsan. And then we have... Um, in both cases, this transition from Guangdong into Hong Kong. And that's very relevant because um, whereas China obviously was going through enormous political upheaval and uh, change of government, Hong Kong remained a British colony and a place where they had a thriving media, a free press, a film industry. And this is very important in terms of the dissemination of Chinese martial arts in the modern world and the creation of this new art form of cinema, which is the Kung Fu movie. So basically, two figures moved to Hong Kong, Yip Man and Lam Tsai Wing. And these both are very important. Without Yip Man, we probably don't get Bruce Lee. Without Lam Tsai Wing, we don't know anything about Wong Fei Hong. What happened was, at that time, in Hong Kong, both in Chinese and in Cantonese, the local dialect, you had newspapers, radio shows, and later films devoted to southern Chinese martial art culture. China is such a vast country, so you have the north and the south. M many countries have a north-south divide, maybe, maybe not so much in Holland, but England, we definitely had it. We have it as well. In America, they have it, and, and in China, we definitely have it. But so basically, everything in Hong Kong is Lam Fong, it's southern-influenced. Southern so people came into Hong Kong and would do interviews with the newspaper, radio, it would be serialized, people would interview Lam Tsai Wing, who was our great-great-great-grandmaster in the style that we teach to this day, and he was a pork butcher by trade. So his nickname is Ju Yuk Wing, pork, Porky Wing, or like Pork Guy Wing. And he would tell stories about his master, Wong Fei Hong. And the journalists would write them in the, as interviews, and they would also, novelists would write stories. And they'd be serialized in the newspapers. And eventually, a film producer said, these are great stories. People love hearing about Wong Fei Hong. We should make some films about uh, Wong Fei Hong. They hired, uh, this, they hired this guy, the bad guy in all the movies, Set Keen and they hired a guy called Quan Tat Hing, and he played Wong Fei Hong, my great-great-great-grandmaster, in a hundred movies. The same actor. The, most, the longest run of films in the history of cinema is the Wong Fei Hong films with Quan Tat Hing. That's him there fighting on the right. And so he did a hundred of these black and white movies and um, became synonymous with the role, understandably. So that's why when I say to you guys, and what they used to do is get real Kung Fu masters to come in and demonstrate art. This is Jackie Chan, also playing Wong Fei Hong in his breakout film, Drunken Master. Obviously, his very comedic version. This is a cartoon version of Wong Fei Hong that's really popular with kid audiences in the south of China. So this is an archetypal character that you may almost... This is Jet Li playing Wong Fei Hong in Once Upon a Time in China. So you probably have seen Wong Fei Hong portrayed on, on camera. Maybe you didn't realize it. You saw Drunken Master. You saw Once Upon a Time in China. Uh, 
and you didn't, you, you didn't make the connection. But all of those characters come from Wong Fei-hung and the stories of Wong Fei-hung. And the initial connection was Lam Tsai-wing had in Hong Kong a number of students and grand students. Foremost among them is Lao Ga-leng, the late Lao Ga-leng, in Mandarin Liu Cha-liang. Lao Ga-leng learned from his father, who was a student of Lam Tsai-wing, and then went into film as a choreographer, and ended up working at the famous Shaw Brothers Studios, where he would apply the Hong Ga Kung Fu, the same as we teach here, to choreographing fight sequence for a director called Chang Che. Chang Che was the great director of his era. The most famous movie was The One-Armed Swordsman with Wong Yu. They went to Taiwan to make films and they split. And then when Lao Sifu came back to Hong Kong, Shaw Brothers said, don't give up, stick around and become a director in your own right. And he directed a string of movies really focusing on the traditions of Hong Ga Kung Fu. And so these were classic films. A couple of them were about Wong Fei Hong. That's him there on the right, the black and white. The guy with the, the kind of the bangs. That's him on the left with the loud hair. That's Lao Ga Leng. So Lao Sifu was at Shaw Brothers and that's the Shaw Brothers studio. And the movies that he did there to this day, if you see them on DVD and Blu-ray, will give you a feeling of what... They, they, you could show Hungar in all its richness on screen. Because in reality, when you actually fight somebody, it's really not very beautiful. But when you do it in a movie, you can actually choreograph it and it can be safe, but it can also show every artistic aspect of martial art. So Lao Sifu, the guy who's that's, that's on the left of the frame, who passed away a couple of years ago, was the, the great maestro of... Uh, martial art, kung fu cinema at Shaw Brothers. So you had basically the establishing at Shaw Brothers of Honga as the base style for people to use for choreography. So you had the tiger, the crane, you had poles, you had weapons, all the things that you might see in a kung fu school adapted for use in film. Now, what happened in the early 70s was that uh, a producer from Shaw Brothers defected to form a company called Golden Harvest. And he somehow had to get a new groove to compete with Lao Sifu and the Honga and the Southern Fist <coughs> styles of Shaw Brothers. He had to come up with something new. And so he heard there was this guy who was living in America called Bruce Lee, who had been a child star in Hong Kong and had moved to America. And he sent a representative to invite Bruce Lee to come back to make movies at Golden Harvest, to somehow compete with Shaw Brothers. And as we all know, who's seen a Bruce Lee movie? Okay, and who knows who Bruce Lee is? Who's seen clips of Bruce Lee fighting? Okay, so we all know, we've probably even seen a documentary about Bruce Lee, so you all know how special and important Bruce Lee was. And he was very different in his style, but his core style was Wing Chun. And he adapted that to form his own style of Jeet Kune Do. And with just four completed movies, revolutionized uh, martial arts cinema, world cinema. And of course, left us far too soon. And then Golden Harvest Studios had to figure out what to do next. And their great, um, martial arts director, their version of Lao Sifu was a guy called Sam Hong, who's actually a big, heavy, 300-pound guy who's very good at kung fu. Has anybody seen the film Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee? Okay, well, that's a, it's, a, it's the, the, probably the most approachable and the most accessible of the Bruce Lee movies. And at the beginning, the guy that Bruce Lee fights is Sam Hong. Sam went on to become uh, a major action director and star in his own right. Even though he's big and fat, he's really good at fighting. And... Uh, he realized he couldn't compete with Lao Sifu to show Honga. So he found his own star with Wing Chun. And he did two films, Warriors 2, Prodigal Son. And when I was 19, I came on the set of this movie, Prodigal Son. How lucky was I? I was like you guys. Who's 19? How old are you guys, might of interest? 21. 21, okay. So I wasn't even as old as you. And I came to Hong Kong by myself 
went to Golden Harvest Studios and I walked on the set of this movie. How lucky, right? Could have been anything. And today it's still my favorite movie, my favorite Kung Fu movie. And uh, it actually, Prodigal Son, Bai Ga Jai, is the Cantonese name. It means uh, kid. Prodigal Son is not really the, the translation. The Bai Ga is basically the kid that breaks the fortune of the family. So whenever Ryan, my eldest son, messes up, I always say, Bai Ga Jai. So I, I, that's embedded in my memory. But so these films established a style of filmmaking at Golden Harvest, which was Wing Chun based. So all the way down through, in, in Fat San, you have Hunga and Wing Chun. And then you have Lam Sai Wing and Yip Man coming to Hong Kong. And then you have Lao Sifu at Shaw Brothers, and then you have Sammo Hung at Golden Harvest. And they're both going to the well, and for Sammo Hung, you have Bruce Lee. You're going to the well on one side for the Hunga, on the other for the Wing Chun. So you have a very pure lineage of inspiration for Kung Fu movies. And everything's kind of an offshoot of what those guys did. The thing I haven't talked about, I talked a little bit about the black and white film series. After a hundred movies, people were kind of scared to do a typical Wong Fei Hong movie with an old guy, like the fellow we saw just now, because he was like a middle-aged man, then he was an old man. So when they came back to do Wong Fei Hong again, this character, they didn't want to have an old man, so they had Jackie Chan in Drunken Master, Jet Li in Once Upon a Time in China, Later, Donnie Yen, my good friend, did Once Upon a Time, he did uh, Iron Monkey, in which he plays like a Wong Fei Hong character. And then he did the Yip Man series. Who, so you guys have seen Yip Man? Yeah. yeah. Hands up, have seen Yip Man? Yip Man 1 and Yip Man 2? Just Yip Man 1, okay. Or IP Man, right? Is that what you call it? So that was kind of, again, going upriver, because Yip Man was the progenitor of Wing Chun Kung Fu. So that was how Donnie became a star, was by doing Yip Man. And again, going back to the well, which is Wing Chun. And prior to that, his biggest monkey being Iron Monkey. His movie was Iron Monkey, which again went back to the well. So that's Hong Ga. So again, we're talking about Yam Soi Si Yun. Everybody? When you drink the water, remember from where the water flows. So this is the case. Like every time when you see Bruce Lee, when you see a Kung Fu movie, when you see um, people doing martial arts, when you see the, in Hong Kong, there's so much as part of our culture, the opera, the movies, the music, the exhibitions, the posters, everything. You should realize and think back, okay, this is something that came from this extraordinary time and place in Fatsan around the turn of the last century. And that's where the, the beginning of this great tradition was. And what's different about Kung Fu cinema? Why do I devote so much of my time to Kung Fu cinema? Why do I devote so much of my time to martial arts practice? The connection is as follows. If you are a fan of Westerns, I don't know whether it's really practical for you to go riding the range, you know, trying to shoot somebody with your gun and you know, firing arrows or doing the things that they do in Westerns. And if you like Star Wars, I don't think you can get a lightsaber from anywhere realistically and go into space. If you like Kung Fu movies, you can practice the same art that you see in the movies in there, or the equivalent martial arts school, which we call a mogun, martial arts school, in the Netherlands, which I know there are many. Um, and you can actually experience the same benefits the characters in the films do, and m perform the same forms, and learn how to use the same weapons. And many of you are probably thinking, hey, I'm a young, hip dude, or dudette. Why do I need kung fu in the modern world? You know, we have guns, uh, we have uh, CrossFit, we have MMA. Why should I be doing Kung Fu? Um, but are you a good fighter? Relatively, is that a challenge? <laughs> no. 
for example, when I was, uh, I know, I am a professional kickboxer. Yes. So <laughs> Do you know Tom Harrink? No. Do you remember Tom Harrink? Ah, oh, you should learn your own history. Tom Harrink was the greatest trainer in Holland. Were you, were you from Amsterdam or Rotterdam? Amsterdam. Amsterdam. He was from Amsterdam. Tom Harrink was the greatest. For example, would you think you will win against a professional kickboxer? Uh, if it's a, if it is in a realistic street situation. Yeah. Exactly. And I can use any anything I have. I as a fifty-year-old guy against. How old are you? Twenty. Okay, so I have a better than average chance of a fifty-five-year-old guy against a twenty-something-year-old guy. I hope you're not the kind of guy that would pick a fight with me. I have a better chance. If it's in the ring, of course, I will be badly defeated by you. Yeah. If it's a real-life situation, then anything goes. Then there are rules that you things you can't do in the kickboxing ring that I can probably do. And the question is, if I'm still quick, or if you're still quick, or if I'm more fierce, or you're more fierce. But I would say. Learning martial art as a, as a self-defense practice, it raises my odds. I can beat all the other 55-year-olds up, trust me. But with you younger guys, and I, if you hadn't trained, definitely I can, I can defeat you readily. But if you're a trained MMA guy or a trained kickboxer with a quick reflexes and you have a fierce fighting discipline, I would have a hard time with you like anybody probably would. But I guess my chances are slightly more because you might look at me and go, what does this old guy know? And I know a bit. So you know I do Kung Fu, but I wouldn't walk on the street and say, Let's fight, you know? <laughs> so that's it. But that's a good question. And I can understand you asking it because most of the Kung Fu people don't. Yes, please. From when I was a little kid, I was fascinated by the moving image. And when I found out that there was martial arts, I was fascinated by martial arts. And then I think the first time I saw they could actually be brought together was maybe the Kung Fu TV series with my late friend David Carradine. And then there was Bruce Lee, and then there were the other Kung Fu movies. So as soon as I realized there were martial art movies and that the best ones were in Hong Kong, I wanted to move to Hong Kong. And I actually made the move here about 20 years ago to or more than like 25 years ago. And so far, so good. Things have worked out okay. So I wanted to address, partly to address your point. Yeah, sure. The people were creating their own Kung Fu style. Yes. It's just you do whatever you want with the Wong Pai Hung in the background. I think, I, I think everybody necessarily um, does create their own form when, by virtue of being an individual. So if you and I both sing the same song, it won't sound the same. If we play guitar, it won't sound the same. Even if the, even if the music on the page is the same, it won't sound the same. If two people dance and they learn the same choreography, why, why, doesn't, why don't all the background dancers look like Michael Jackson? Why don't all the background dancers look like Michael Jackson? They do all the same moves. What makes Michael Jackson special? So the point is, everything you do will be um, kind of a reflection of you. And so you create your own style. Like Bruce Lee said, a man, the creating individual is almost always more important than any established style or system. I don't believe what he believed, which is we should throw away everything and do MMA. That traditional martial arts has no place in the modern world. I absolutely don't think that's the case. I do think it has value and merit. And I, don't, and I think that there, that there is so much to be gained from these traditions that even though you can adapt and train differently, like I use kettlebells, which probably they didn't use in, in the old days, but you can adapt and modify it, but there's still a lot of, to be treasured for it. So I would say it's almost like if you have a classic old building, do you really want to knock it down and build a skyscraper? I wish you didn't. I'd rather you modified and made better the classic building. So that's kind of what we're doing with our hongar, is trying to make it, keep the tradition, but somehow make it relevant. So I just, um, I'm really happy to have questions and move on with questions. Let me say three things I want to make a point of and then we'll have more questions. Um, I put in this, 
the, what I see as the benefits and the relevance of hunger or kung fu training in the modern world. And you notice I put in as a third place self-defense. These arts were defined at a time when self-defense was entirely your own responsibility. They really weren't police, there were not laws, there were not... Basically the people who were developing these arts needed to immobilize or kill or cripple another person as quickly as possible to get away, to save their lives. That's not the world we live in today. And it's quite possible for me to train in Kung Fu for many, many years and never have to fight anybody. So have I wasted my time if we're learning self-defense? Firstly, it's a mind, body, spirit practice for Kung Fu. In that, you know, at my late age, I still get benefits physically from our, to the forms that we do, from the mental focus that it, it engenders, and from the, there's a spiritual level to it as well, which you can either uh, but you, you can do the physical side and not be involved with the spiritual if it conflicts with your other beliefs or you can make that part of your practice. So it's kind of like, I always thought when I was a kid, yo who does yoga? Who's done yoga? None of you. Okay. Oh, yes. Hands up who's ever done yoga. All right. When I was a kid, yoga was something they did in India. Yoga was something that hippies did. Nobody knew anybody that did yoga in England. Uh, I don't know how it was in Holland, but we didn't know anybody who did yoga. Then now, does anybody, is there anybody who would not know somebody who does yoga every day? So how, what happened? Somehow yoga got repositioned as a body-mind-spirit practice that was relevant for modern people. And I believe that Kung Fu can have a similar rebirth, that we can actually bring people in and say, this practice that we're doing will help your body, mind, and spirit, and it's relevant in the modern world, just as yoga did. So that's the number one benefit that I find of it. And the great thing about it is there's a saying in Chinese, the only space you need to do Kung Fu is the space it takes for a tiger to lie down. So like, for example, let's say that you're traveling and you can't get to a gym and you can't go to jog because it's snowing outside. You can be in your hotel room and you can do your form and you can, you, you can work your whole body and you can calm yourself down after a long journey just with the martial practice in a small space. You don't need a lot of space to do Hong Ga. You don't need other people. You just need yourself and what you know. So in that way, it's a very singular practice. The second thing I want to mention is principles for life. That when we practice Kung Fu, it's, we, we, in the, this gets lost sometimes. There's a saying in, um, uh, what's the gentleman's name? Tony, stand up for a minute. So if Tony puts his arm out to me, just put your arm here, okay. So we have a, bend it slightly. So we have a saying in Chinese, Lat Sao Jik Jong, which is basically if his hand, Lat Sao Jik Jong, we lost hand strike forward. So if he just takes his hand away, I'll go straight forward. So if we if connect like that, boom. We have this in Chinese, in Hong as the kyu sao, the bridge hand. So as soon as we have a touch there, people think bridge hand is like this. No, the bridge is here. We're connecting. So as soon as his hand goes away, I'm going to go forward. So this is when we're practicing it, we're thinking, okay, lat sao jik jong, lost hand, strike forward. Now, in business, in life, in the film industry, the people I know who fell by the wayside were those when the opportunity was there and they were so hung up in their own hassles, they didn't move on it. They didn't act. Seriously, time and again, why have you not seen that actor for a while? Why did that director stop working? Why did that business fail? A lot of the times, it's that principle has not been followed. And there's a whole series of principles in Kung Fu that you can apply to everyday life. And drilling, just saying the words may not help, but you drill physically, it becomes part of you. Like driving a car, riding a bike. You know, you never forget it. So the fact that it's a physical practice with that kind of uh, principled aspect is very useful for leading a more rewarding life. And I think that's not taught enough. The third aspect is self-defense. 
I would say this, that traditional Chinese martial arts, not having any rules or limitations, um, is very suitable for somebody in a conventional lifestyle who wants to defend themselves. I want to um, just give an example of that. Can I have a volunteer? How about you, sir? Can you stand up? So, mo a lot of the times when you're, if you, if you have an encounter with somebody, like let's say you're a girl and you get Uncle Frank at a party, at the Christmas party, wants to stick his tongue down your throat. You don't want to rip, you don't want to rip his throat out, right? So basically, if you just grab my, grab my wrist there, hold it as tight as you can. Okay, good. So basically, from this motion here, in the form, is this. When I use it in reality, I don't need to use any power. You see, he can't, hold, hold tighter. <laughs> you see, I don't need to use any power. So a girl okay, can do that. Tight. Hold it tight. Super tight. Good. Right, so every time, I'm not using it, as you can see, I'm not using any power to do that. And it's basically the principle of there's kind of wheels of energy at any given time in the body. So we're using those wheels. Now, when we get to here, I've got this line. Again, this is my bridge to him. And I have a choice. This is why Kung Fu is a moral art. If you don't know any Kung Fu and this guy comes on to me, <laughs> bless your heart, you know, or it costs me. I'm like, yeah, and I pick up a club and I hit him on the head. Guess what? I'm in jail. So I've got, I can hit him on the throat, which will like immobilize him. Oh, he goes back choking. I can do finger, this will, he'll probably have hemorrhaging, but he won't die. I can do this and he will die. If he's threatening my wife and kids, then he's going to die. So I've got a choice of things to do once I get in there, which people say, how can you be a Buddhist and do Kung Fu? But basically, Kung, so Kung Fu is basically, you have the choice of response, gauge depending on the, the, the level of the severity of the threat. So if it is just some guy coming on, you can do different things. Yes? Can you kill somebody with one punch? <laughs> Potentially. Potentially. But I mean, I, I, I would hope not to do that, but there's definitely kill moves that you, that you could do. I mean, can you pull out somebody's throat? Yes. Yeah. We have, you know, from here, this one, tiger, like this. You come in from there, or you can chop across it, or you can do, this is called Fung Ankun, Phoenix Eye Fist. Phoenix onto that. Or you can go onto the, onto the, uh, go into the, um, solar plexus with this, different techniques. So basically, and the, the key is that you want to use, every time the body moves, there are like, it's like a combustion engine, there's circles mo of motion. And actually the circle is the strongest line in nature. But for some reason, man's moved away from that and made everything linear. So I'll give you an example. So who's the biggest guy here? Well, let's just use you again. Can you move across a bit, miss? So if you just push, give me your hand. So I'm making my big, my big muscles and just push on me hard as you can. Push, oh, okay. Now push, 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 push. See how hard it is for him? And I'm not using any, just push on there. Good. But I'm not using any power. Here I'm using my muscles. Push, and here I'm not, push. See, the round line. It's like you can't crack an egg. So what we're trying to use in Kung Fu is to use all the circles together, so the final circle is the one that hits somebody. So we're going back towards nature, which is always a circle. So it's like basically circle of energy in your life, within you, and in the, in the circle that you create around you. <coughs> so it's about controlling your environment. Yes. Sorry, sir, sit down. Thank you. Ah, I worked on Kill Bill, one and two, for my sins. So what's your question? Death strike. Is that a myth or is that? It's based on reality. Isn't every myth 
somewhere based on a reality. Um, we know that there's this thing with dimut, which is point strikes, and dimmat, which is the death, which is they've mistranslated it as death touch. It's not really, dim is point. We know there are points in the body that affect the way our health is, because otherwise acupuncture wouldn't work. So what they're doing with dimut is basically using those points to damage the body beyond that of the immediate strike. The problem with it is the, the way the energy flows through the body depends, is, 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 is down to each individual, and it's down to the time of day. So it's almost like if you're going to use demute to me, of course, if you're going to assassinate somebody, maybe you've got time to practice. But if you say, excuse me, I'm going to fight you now. What time is it? Four o'clock. What year were you born? And you've got all that information you've got to have before you can apply it. So I believe that there is an actual practice in the old times that was uh, an application of demute that might kill somebody. I think in the modern times, it's one of those things that we've lost. So Quentin being Quentin, of course, goes back to the old movies, and he's like, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be great, we're going we're to do it like that, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, Quentin's, yeah, definitely. I remember um, before we started the movie, I was in Cannes with him, and Quentin acted out the whole movie from the beginning to the end, and he even played all the characters, and she's, and, and she's, and she's speak no further, bitch. And I'm like, however good the movie is, it's never going to be as good as this performance from Quentin. So that was my Kill Bill experience. The technique behind a one centimeter punch. Yes, so. but I mean, it's like the, the thing with the one inch punch is basically you kind of like coming up to somebody and like, well, do it. Let's see. Don't offend this. Oh, Calvin, Calvin, Kyle, say this. No, 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 it's okay. Hey, what? That's what we. Hey, what? Oh, hey. They can the one the ones that saw it can tell you about it. No, no, we can do one more for the. All right. All right, I'll do this one in slow mo. I just did that one for fun. Hold it to your thing like that. Okay. Right. So from there. Okay. But now the thing is, now he's basically he's ready. So it's not the idea is that you use it at close range. Is that okay? But you felt it, right? Yeah, I felt it. You guys, sorry, I didn't pull my hand back or anything. Through that. What it, well, the secret? The secret, if I can call it that, is what we call lutchaplek. There's the man up there talking, by the way. Now you're talking about something else. Your regulation rules. Fighting as it is. Real emotional content. So basically, huh? Uh, yeah, this is that, that, that stuff is on YouTube with Bruce Lee talking. Yeah, I think it's on YouTube now. We just wanted to put it in the background so that I could just wouldn't just be me talking. But basically, uh, the the one-inch punch is. There's no there's no secrets to kung fu. It's just basic knowledge that you haven't had shared with you yet. So we share everything. Sifu is very open. That's one reason I kind of I took him. Let me see, I, I didn't take him in, he took me in. Well, it was a combined yun fun, fate, that we meet each other. I support him and he taught me. But he's very open. Whatever you want to learn, he'll teach you. And if he doesn't know it, he'll introduce Grandmaster and he'll teach you. So we have a great access to the art. Basically, uh, the, the one-inch punch, as we call it, is another part of the circle theory of Kung Fu, which is basically you have all these circles of energy together. It's like a combustion engine. The car only moves because a lot of circles are moving at the same time. As we all know, if one circle doesn't move in the combustion engine, the car doesn't go. So it's the same thing. Look, six, basically six together power. From the ankle, the knee, the hip, the shoulder, the elbow, and the wrist. 
so that from, that from all the way up from the ground, it goes from there. So normally, you have this much energy. Now, people talk about, like, how can a woman defend herself against a man? And the reality is, if you do a stand-up, knock-down, drag-out fight between a man and a woman, the man's always going to win. But the reality is, with women, sometimes if they can be first with the most, if a woman weighs 100 pounds and she can hit somebody with 90 pounds, and the guy weighs 300 pounds but he's only using 20 pounds, for that instant of impact, the woman actually weighs more than the guy. It's like, how, can a, how much does a bullet weigh compared to a human being? But bullets, it's the fact that a bullet, or a whip is maybe a better example. But if you hold a whip loose, it's nothing. But when you actually extend it, that moment that it snaps, and that's the one-inch punch. Basically, and it can be applied to a lot of different techniques. So when I teach women self-defense, I always say, basically, use the minimum amount that you need to do with the most power you can generate in the moment, and then try to get out of that situation. But the reality is, if you, if you, can, if you can use 90 pounds against 20 pounds, for that instance, you're heavier than the other guy. Yeah? It's basically, if I picked, up, if I picked you up and threw you at a 300-pound guy. When you were hit, that guy would get injured by you being in flight, even though you standing and him standing, he's heavier than you because you've got that momentum, right? More questions? I'm not going to demonstrate that, by the way. Yes, ma madam. I was wondering whether the circles that you described, yes. and you bring it up all the way from the ankles, and basically that's where it flows and Correct. leaves your hands. Correct. Well, I think definitely, you know, the thought is father to the deed, that you actually begin with the thought of like, this is the motion. But then, you know, basically at a certain point you uh, dissolve the theory and you just apply. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like it, Bruce Lee, don't think, feel, you know, that whole thing. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to be hung up in thinking one, two, three. But you do when you begin. And then afterwards it just becomes a natural process of what you can do. So that, that's, the, that's the way it works. Um, do you have the, who's got my camera, my phone now? Do you take some, you take some pictures from the back? Okay, cool. Uh, the, yes? The sign of Kung Fu, it is a reverse sign, right? Like, there, there's a different meaning, but it's reversed. How do you mean, of Kung Fu? Yeah, I don't know. Actually, in Chinese, um, because, uh, first of all, the written language of Chinese is extraordinarily complicated. And also because of the fact that you have tones, you have a lot of homonyms, which is basically the same word that can be pronounced slightly differently and have a different meaning. So for Kung Fu, I think what you're referring to is in China, what we call Wushu, which is like basically martial arts. The way of writing it, which is war art, and there's a way of writing it, which would be to stop war. And I think that that's actually uh, basically the philosophy behind that would be if you have to, martial art hopefully puts you in a state of being where you don't have to get in conflict, but if you do get into conflict, you'll win. So basically, simultaneously, it's war art and stopping war. I mean, a lot of the times you see people, especially younger men, who get <coughs> macho and they're like, well, you know, I want to fight to prove I can fight. But if you do Kung Fu every day, perhaps you don't feel you need to do that. You just focus on, you know, your practice. And if you need to use it, you're going to use it. You know, I, I very rarely had to use it in any outside of films or teaching. But, you know, it's like, uh, it's, that to my, I put it very strongly at number three, the self-defense aspect, and more... The other thing that, that I didn't mention on this, I suppose, it's a very fun activity. It's a very social activity. You know, people used to dance very close together, and now they kind of dance far apart. But when we do Kung Fu, a lot of the times, for example, if you do like Chi Sao or pushing hands, you'll be like here. So how's your week been, you know? And you can actually, that's something no people don't talk about. But it's actually you get to meet somebody from, from that connection. 
of doing kung fu together. And I think that that's a social, as a social activity, it's very useful. Because very, everybody's very solitary now. And increasingly, I see my kids, you know, they've got 500 friends they never met, right? <laughs> so I think Chinese, martial art as a social activity and as a community, which is what we've established here, is something that's very important. Any more questions? You yes? Yeah, I have used it on occasion. I have used it on occasion. I don't know, it's, it's like, uh, like old tigers coming in and saying, well, there was a time. I mean, I mean, you know, I've been in situations where, with my younger days where I was up against somebody stronger than me and, it, you know, I got hurt and I've been in situations where I came out on top and it was, I think, it's just down to the situation and um, the, the balance of the day. I don't think you can... I, don't, I think that you probably, the mindset is more important than the physicality. If you just face off, most, most people, most, most people, I mean, the, the thing about someone like him, what's your name again? I don't think he, I think he goes to the gym to train, he goes home and he'll have a protein shake and he'll watch MMA on TV. He doesn't go walking the streets drunkenly looking for, oh, frost shake you on. He doesn't do that. So against the, the guy, or maybe I misread him. Maybe I misread him. But most athletes, most athletes are not out looking for fights. They want to get paid to fight in the ring. That's my or, or they want to train with rules and whatever. It's like they're, they're not looking for trouble in the street. Whereas the kind of person that you might meet who's drunk and disorderly, then you, you know, you, 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 that's the person that you deal with and that's the person where I've had incidents occasionally with. And again, sometimes it's really just graded response. You just want somebody to let go of your arm. You just want somebody to not touch your girlfriend. You don't necessarily need to smash somebody with a baseball bat. But I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't have any, I don't have any great battle stories. But I, one last question. Sure. Are, are there also like in karate you have a black belt and a burst? We don't. I mean, basically what happened, what happened with karate was basically when you go back to Okinawa, which is where the history of karate was that it started as an offshoot of southern Chinese martial art, basically of the white crane system which was in Guangdong. And it came down through the Ryukyu, Mount, Ryukyu Islands into Okinawa. And then in Okinawa, they wore black suits. I mean, I'm wearing a blue one today, but black suits and did training that was very similar to the forms that we do. And that was the Gojuru style. And there was no belts or anything. And then when it moved from Okinawa to the mainland, it became very militaristic. Everybody was going to stand in line and do this. And they had to have, you know, white belt, yellow belt. So you knew everybody's ranking. It's a very Japanese thing, you know, who's senpai, who's ko kohai, you know, who's big, who's small. No, it's very, very, uh, how do I put it? It's very like, you know, you know, you know, kind of Unitarian in that way. Basically, we just come in and you, you, you would learn who's trained longer. So he'll be si hing or si dai, depending on whether he trained longer or shorter time. And you would know the sifu by coming in and seeing who was doing the teaching. But we don't have a belt system. What happens in foreign countries is normally whenever it's become like, you know, kind of babysitting, like the, the kids, the parents leave the kid to do taekwondo or kung fu while they go shopping. And then, then the teacher's meant to dole out a belt every month or two months. And that keeps them interested. And so that's, that's where that whole thing has come from. We don't have it here if it helps people in foreign countries or even in Hong Kong to have a grading system, that's great. We don't have it here. Um, basically, it's just students, and then we have, you know, Sifu as our master, and then his teacher as our grandmaster. And that's basically it. Any more questions? Yes, sir. Uh, the grandmaster? Hmm. 
Actually, the, our grandmaster, not typically, I mean, our great-grandmaster, Lam Zhou, uh, died at 103. And the great thing about him was, even when he was 99, he was like, <clears throat> he wasn't one of these, you know, you see, and now the oldest woman in the world, <laughs> this kind of like poor, poor like mummy, you know. But he was like, he'd be every day like this, 99. I'm really happy if you look online, you see probably the fourth picture of Lam Zhou is him with my son Ryan. Um, so he was an example of an older grandmaster. But as it happens, um, Max Ifu's teacher, Chan Chi Kang, is only two years older than him. But he's quite a quiet guy. I and mean, there's a lot of, but he has knowledge that, he, that Sifu has forgotten certain forms and weapons. And so Sifu, being very open, like a lot of teachers would pretend or just wouldn't talk about it, but he would say, oh, I forgot that form, like the dummy, the wooden dummy. And he would say, you should go and uh, learn from Grandmaster. So we learn from Grandmaster, or one of the senior students learns from Grandmaster and shares it with us. So the knowledge is not lost. So they're basically, in, in Hongao we have the core styles, which are Fu Hok Ying, Tiger and Crane, uh, Sap Ying Kun, that's the ten animals fist, Titin Kun, Iron Wire Boxing, and Gong Ji Fu Fu Kun, which is the character Gong, subdue the tiger form. And those are the basic forms of the style. And there's probably about eight or nine other major fist forms, which is basically using your hands and feet, and then we have weapons, you know, the straight sword, the game, the broadsword, the dole, the stick, which is the guan, and, and there's like another 18 weapons or so. So there's a lot of material. Wing Chun, by comparison, has three forms, a pole, two knives, and the wooden dummy. So it's much easier and quicker. If you, if you want to learn a Kung Fu style quickly, Wing Chun's for you. And if you want to do it as a lifetime practice, Hong Ga. It's, uh, it's a very different, they're very different in that regard. Wing Chun, in a way, is a reaction to Hong Ga. Hong Ga took a long time, Wing Chun took a short time. Hungar is more strength-based, Wing Chun is more um, immediately usable by a slighter built person. Though I believe Hungar, when you train it longer, you learn how to apply it without brute force. So, you know, there's many, many roads to the same truth. Just like religion. So, uh, any more questions? Yes, Adam. Well, there's no ranking, how do you become a master? You take a student. <laughs> So same, Jeff. How do you stop being a single person to being a wife? You marry a dude. It's like, or a girl, or a guy, whichever, you know. But it's like, basically, as soon as you take a student, you become a teacher, become a master. It's not. I mean, the reality is, um, for me, I had always, I trained with different teachers over the years, and then I was at the gym, and uh, I was like, you got to research the reality of your own experience. It's like, you know, what's it? They say, believe half. What's that great song lyric? Believe half of, uh, believe half of what you see. Believe half of what you hear. Summon, summon none of what you see. So basically, you've got to kind of research your own experience. So I was at the gym one time, and I was like just training my form. I was between teachers at the time, and some young fella comes over and says, "What are you doing there?" And I said, "Oh, it's some old kung fu form. You wouldn't have heard of it." He goes, "Is that Gongji?" I was like, "Yes, it is." And he goes, oh, I train with this guy, Max Ifu. Yeah, I never heard of him. He teaches in the park. Oh, in the park. Like, okay. Why don't you come and see how it, how it would be? And I was like, okay. And he kept calling me, this young fella, calling me, calling. Finally, I went to the park and I met Max Ifu, the guy you just saw in there. And he was skinny little dude, like you see. And I walked up to him and I'm like, so, you're teaching Kung Fu, huh? Okay, fine. And he goes, yeah, let's just, you know, exchange ideas. Why don't we? You've learned some before? Great. I said, I said he said, let's, let's, let's just show each other form. I said, okay. You first. So he does his form. Form moves in. I'm like, Sifu, can I be your student? <laughs> and I was just immediately could tell. And I don't know. It's like, it's kind of like you just don't doubt the reality of your own experience. 
It's like how you meet somebody who's going to be your best friend after five minutes. How do you know? Like you meet the person you're going to marry. How do you know? Like you listen to music that's going to be the music that you're going to groove to for the rest of your days. How do you know? Only you know. It's like that when you do Kung Fu, when you meet a teacher. It's like you know if you listen to yourself. And the problem with the world today is it becomes so loud, we've stopped listening to ourselves. People keep telling me, I'll give you an example, a silly example. I worked on a movie called Mission Impossible 3 with Tom Cruise. It was right when Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes were going out together. And you could see these two were really crazy in love. And I could see it like every day. And I would come back to Hong Kong and someone would say to me, oh, that's all fake. Really, why? I read about it in the Inquirer. Or I read it online. So it must be true. And I'm going, but it's really interesting because I would be saying, no, I know it's not true. But how do you know it's not true? Because I was there. I, but I realized how when you don't have that ability to have a you know, a personal observation, you're just bound by what you read and hear. So then I felt in life, we do obviously have that choice because let's say you want to go and learn a certain art. Like if you came and trained with me for one session and you go, I think this guy's full of it, then probably I am. Or if you go, I think this guy's cool, I want to train probably, you've got to trust the reality of your own experience. And um, yeah, that's all I can say is that if you actually, um, I think, you actually, people are, people are normally smarter and more, somehow they let themselves get convinced, but people are smarter than, than, they, let them, than they allow themselves to be. So I, I, have, I have faith. I've always found with Sifu and myself, whenever I've taken on students, they immediately re recognize what we had to offer. Yeah. That answers your question. Though so of course there must be cases where people um, get ripped off or were cheated or whatever. I know that happens. I believe in, in, the, in the main in Kung Fu, legitimate, the art is practiced globally to a high level, and there are many, many legitimate teachers out there, which I'm happy about. Yes? Do we like masters get paid by the students, or do they have jobs on the side? Or it depends. I mean, uh, it would be nice. I mean, Kung Fu, I've always thought, and certainly in my case it's true, it's a great a hobby and a lousy living. Yeah. I mean, I make movies for a living, and I do Kung Fu as a pastime. But traditionally, um, teachers, in Chinese Kung Fu teachers actually did um, uh, Chinese medicine as a job. Like Wang Feihong, he had a famous clinic called Bo Lam, and they did that Dit Da. Dit Da basically means uh, fall and bruise. So it's medicine for treating workers' injuries. That's where the money came from, and they would teach Kung Fu on the side. But to nowadays, Sifu gets paid by the students, and if I teach private classes, I get paid by the students as well. That's been a big change, the shift in run times from amateurism to being professional teachers. Any more questions? Yes, miss. And how many movies did you play? In, in, as an actor, yeah. about 15, and as a producer, I've done about the same number, luckily, touching wood again. Not finished yet, um, but that's subject probably for another lecture, another time I'll talk about my film career. But I, I never had great aspirations to be an actor. What happened was, I would do a movie with the director, and then when you do a movie, you have the director, the assistant director, the casting director, the producers, and everybody would like, just immediately after the film, you'd be fresh in their memory, particularly me being the only white guy. So then next movie, somebody would say, you know, we need a white guy to play this part. And they would say, oh, let's just get Bay. And then I would get calls. So that's how, and because you can do a movie in a, if you're an actor, you can do a movie in a day or an hour. But when I produce a movie, um, it takes longer, like three months, six months, a year. So if you look on my IMDb, which is this online listing of films people have made, basically I've got, I'm, I'm listed almost as an actor because I've been in more movies as an actor, but I have no aspirations to be an actor. I think of myself more as a talking prop or a, a fighting prop 
less, less as an actor. That's maybe, actor is too strong a word for me. Calvin Carl, are you here? Yeah. Out of 10, what do you give me as an actor? See, even my own sons. Out of 10, e out of 10 what do I get? Eight. Oh, that's, oh, okay, <laughs> well, okay. All right, good. Have you had your pocket money yet? You'll get it double. <laughs> good, no, he's lying. It's about three, about three. Any more questions? Okay, good. So I think the key we want to get takeaway today is Yam Soi Si Yun. Everybody? Yam Soi Si Yun. What's it mean? Drink water. Remember from where it flows. Absolutely right. And I think that, and I, yeah, yeah, I mean, so when you're drinking the water, stay hydrated, you're thinking, wait a minute, and it becomes a principle for, for life. So what, uh, what, what, we're talk, what we're dealing with here is, I just, I don't believe for any moment that everybody in this room is going to go and rent 15 Kung Fu movies or going to go and enroll in Kung Fu when they go back to Holland. But the important, you're from Holland, right? Yeah. yeah. The important thing is that what I'd like for you to take away from Hong Kong, because it's such a treasure of our culture, that when somebody says Kung Fu or Wong Fei Hong or Hong Gar or Tiger Crane or whatever, you think back to this crazy guy and that very smart guy in there and you go, okay, I know what it is. Because I think it's important. You know, I think that this, these touchstones of our culture are important. In my case, my adopted culture. But it's very important to me and I want people to be aware of it and respect it. So I think this will help you in, you know, wherever you are in the world, if you can, what will bring people together is if we respect and embrace each other's cultural touchstones. And that's the one I respect most in Hong Kong. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.